Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jordan Tischler, MD. He is president of Inhale MD. He's also president of the Association of Cannabis Specialists, and he's an instructor at Harvard Medical School. I'm excited to talk with Jordan. Jordan was in our program in the very early days, and I'm looking forward to kind of catching up. I'm also looking forward to talking a little bit about what has happened over that time period. So Jordan's out of the Boston, uh, Massachusetts area, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the adult use rec markets and medical markets have been kind of developing, how they've been interplaying with each other a little bit, and where we see some of the kind of consequences of having both of these markets going, and then where the future might go. So I talked to him a little bit about, now that we've seen this kind of develop a little bit, what are the big issues? How are these issues going to play out in the future? I'm excited about this because I think the the adult use medical market interplay is a really unique aspect of the cannabis industry in terms of how the regulation has been set up and how states have been conducting their regulatory frameworks. And it really shapes how, how we're doing as an industry uh, really, you know, at a national level, you know, there's so many different states with different programs. So with that, Jordan, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's lovely to be here again. 
Yeah, I should say welcome back to the program. Yeah, um, so just for folks that haven't gone back and listened to our first one, I just give people a little, a little bit about your background, how you got into cannabis, and then we can dig into our topic today. Sure. You know, I like to say that I'm sort of a very conventional physician. I uh, went to Harvard College. I went to Harvard Medical School. I trained in internal medicine at the Brigham Women's Hospital here in Boston. And then I spent um, about 20 years doing emergency medicine, 15 years of that at the VA. So, you know, I, I got to be pretty well versed in sort of substance use and misuse uh, yeah. through that process. And that was the same process that led me to think, you know, well, you know, people are talking about cannabis as potentially medically valuable. Maybe I better learn something about this because I've never seen anybody hurt by it. So maybe there's some upside here. Yeah. And that led me to sort of the deep dive and really trying to synthesize the enormous literature of science that's out there and came away from that recognizing that there was a lot of really good science to back up the, what we're doing to treat patients. And that led me to actually shifting my career into this field. Yeah. So I'm interesting from a medical point of view, how is cannabis, you know, whether there's the cannabis plant or, you know, the products derived therefrom, how is it different from other drugs that we have available, you know, from a medical point of view? Just give us a little bit of sense of how is it similar and how is it different from, from a physician perspective? Well, you know, that's a very interesting and complicated question. I think, you know, we're part of what's happening happened over the last 80 to 100 years in modern medicine is we sort of went from leaves and bark, right, yeah. through this period where it was called the patent medicine era, which is really sort of 1880 to 1920, where people were putting together these brews and marketing them, right? And so they were mm -hmm. patented, hence the expression. And then, you know, we really got into sort of modern science and we developed some very strict standards for how medicine should be developed and tested and proven. And that's been a really wonderful thing in terms of being able to know that conventional medications are going to do what we expect them to do and have been properly vetted. And an interesting thing is in the cannabis world, we don't really have that at this point because for better or for worse, mostly worse, the federal government is ignoring this, mm -hmm. you know, which sort of prevents them from doing the kind of regulatory stuff that we would expect for other medicines. Unfortunately, what that means is that many of the claims that are out there are not adequately substantiated. It means that there is sort of a culture that's grown up around the sort of screw the pharmaceuticals, which frankly, I'm not sure how you know reasonable that is. What we ultimately want is medicines, regardless of where they're derived, to be safe and effective. You know, and I think that in some ways, one of the downsides to sort of the modern medicine creation pathway is that it's sort of ossified into this process that Physicians yeah. sort of ignore things that are not within that box, right? And and yeah. cannabis is not in that box at the moment. And so, you know, we're sort of struggling with that a little bit. Yeah. And so we've got this kind of parallel markets or parallel kind of regulatory frameworks. One kind of medically focused, meaning that, you know, the physicians are involved in, in some way, shape or form. We can talk a little bit about that, but this kind of medical side and then this adult use side and various states have kind of played these out in various ways. You know, a lot of them starting with some kind of medical program and then introducing some kind of adult use program over time in the Massachusetts market. Give us a little sense of how Massachusetts has played out as a little bit of a case study here, and we can talk about how these markets kind of interact and, and how they affect each other. Sure. You know, the Massachusetts market kind of came out just as you described, right? So we passed medical back in 20. 
11, and it sort of had a very slow startup. The current governor's administration then wasn't really interested in it. You know, it was a, a referendum, as so many states were. So they kind of sat on it for a while, and eventually we got some dispensaries opened and stuff like that. And and then it was from sort of the 2014 onward, it was kind of percolating along and, and doing okay. And then 2018 came along and we had another referendum, this one on recreational use, and that passed. And a couple of years since then have been sort of mostly focused on sort of rolling out the adult use marketplace here, but also thinking a lot about sort of that interplay between the medical and, and adult use. And it's been interesting to watch because I think on the industry side, there's often not really a particularly great understanding of how these sort of groups of people, meaning patients on the one hand mm -hmm. and recreational or users on the other, sort of how they're different and how their needs are distinct. And so there's kind of a general, maybe more national attempt to sort of sweep it all into this sort of adult use category. Here in Massachusetts, they've been a little bit more thoughtful about that in terms of reserving certain types of products specifically for medical use, making sure that medical patients have their needs attended to a little bit better in terms of things like not standing in line and having preferred parking for people who are ill, and, and also reserving a portion of each dispensary's product for patients only so that there is not, you know, so that the adult users don't strip the market of yeah. any products available to patients. Yeah. So that, that's actually been pretty good. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how these these two different kind of categories of, you know, people on the on the medical side and on the uh, sort of adult use recreational side, what are the major differences in terms of either their product needs or how, you know, how we need to sort of serve their needs best from a market point of view? Give me a little compare and contrast as you've sort of seen this play out, you know, from on the physician side. What what do you see as being different, either in terms of the product, in terms of the actual products that get developed and, and what they are needed for the uses that they're applying them to and, and how overall kind of servicing them, making sure that they get what they need overall in terms of experience? They're very different groups of folk and the types of products are very different. You know, there's this sort of common misconception that patients need higher potency products, but in mm -hmm. reality, it's quite the opposite. In fact, that the patients need low potency products and that it's the recreational users who are the people who are purchasing ounces per month of, you know, or the equivalent thereof. Mm -hmm. For me, with my patients, we're looking for, if we're using botanical cannabis by inhalation, then we're looking for sort of medium potency. We don't want THC levels above 20%. Mm -hmm. If we're thinking about uh, an edible type thing, you know, something that has, it's very small, meaning it doesn't have a lot of calories to it, like a gummy is an ideal vehicle. Mm -hmm. And something where we have low amounts. So five milligram gummy is great. A 10 milligram gummy is great. We're not looking for 40, 50, 80, 100 milligrams oh in gosh, a gummy, yeah. <laughs> right? Because, you know, we have to keep in mind that what we're looking is, you know, grandma, right? So maybe yeah. she's 60, maybe she's 70, maybe she's 80, you know, but she's got terrible back pain. This is not something somebody who's going to want to run out and be doing dabs. Mm -hmm. Moreover, that's just not an approach that's going to serve her needs. On the other hand, well, let me circle back and say, you know, the the patient needs something that fits the bill and is readily available and 
ultimately reliable. So that little gummy is a perfect example. And they're really not in it for the experience. They're in it for the relief. And that's just fundamentally different from somebody who is sort of thinking, okay, this Saturday, I've got some free time. What's cool that I can do that's exciting and new, right? And so those people are much more attracted to, you know, a nice brownie or a bottle of seltzer water or, you know, any of those sorts of things. And the novelty of the problem product is a huge draw as well. There's no way that I can dose my patient effectively with a bottle of cannabis fruit juice. Believe me, I've had patients try that and it just doesn't work very well. I think I remember when we originally spoke, you were you were mentioning that there was a uh, like pizza, like yes. someone was doing cannabis pizza. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, as a physician, that stuff. It's like okay, take a third of a slice. <laughs> like, what, how do right. we how do we define that? Exactly. You know, yeah. you just I don't have a problem with cannabis pizza. I just have a problem with putting it out there as a medical item. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And the same thing with seltzer water or fruit juice. Like, look, if you want to go and you have some time to kill and you want to drink a fruit juice and and get stoned from it, you know, fine. Awesome. It's something where, you know, the process of of consuming it is enjoyable and the experience of it is novel and also hopefully enjoyable, all of which make for great sort of recreational uses, but not particularly for grandma's backache. Yeah. So I get it's interesting because it's it's like I get the dose uh, that you need kind of not only kind of finer dosing increments because, you know, some of these folks might be taking smaller quantities, but the actual consistency, like you need to make sure it's the exact same amount every single time. And, and I know there's various levels of kind of testing and, and people have all sorts of kind of challenges with depending on what you're producing. I can imagine it's tough to produce pizza where you have this exact same amount of THC in every single slice of pizza, you know, but this whole kind of how consistency as it but the actual form factor becomes interesting too because yeah. you're dealing with folks that are taking that you want a low calorie easy to ingest you know volume wise i mean i'm assuming you're you're dealing with folks who are actually consuming a lot of something may actually be a challenge depending on you know if you're dealing with whatever kind of ailments you're de- dealing with and, and treating the actual form factor can become quite a challenge as well you know whether it's a, a hard candy if it's a gummy if it's a liquid like all these things start to become really important when you're dealing with the medical side. Absolutely. You know, I think that we can look in this in a sort of a number of different ways. For one thing, you know, if you're going to have a brownie for fun, presumably you're doing that once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. But for me to go and tell grandma that she should eat a 250 calorie brownie twice a day, every day, right? That's not practicing good medicine. It's not remembering that there's more to this person than just the cannabis need, right? So, you know, and again, grandma is not only older and has the backache, but she maybe has diabetes or she's overweight or all those things. So, you know, you just have to think about the bigger picture here. So gummies are kind of ideal. You know, you can get a chocolate bar, for example, that has little sections and maybe each section is five milligrams. Mm -hmm. Those are okay. But again, just because it's all one piece until you break it up, there's a certain active level in breaking off the right amount, which leads to the opportunity for making mistakes. Same thing with tinctures, right? I mean, there's a lot wrong with tinctures in general from sort of a bioavailability point of view. But the other thing is that if you're counting on somebody to literally count out the number of drops for their dose, it's pretty easy to mess that up, right? And again, you remember grandma, her eyesight isn't so great. Her hands aren't so great. You know, it just saying like, take one gummy 
twice a day yeah. is just a lot more likely to be successful or less likely to become problematic. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the whole, in what context are they consuming and what are the factors that go into getting the consumption right, right? Like, I, I, Absolutely. You know, the eyesight, uh, I'm not even thinking like, you know, hand strength and things like that. You know, some of these things, you know, if they're difficult to the packaging or the, the actual manipulating the product itself, yeah, breaking things off in specific amounts and, and remembering just like, yeah, okay, well, was it, was it one square? Was it two squares? You know, was a square, you know, a full block? Was it a small block? <laughs> I could see that really becoming a challenge. Absolutely. You know, all the packaging too, you know, that's all childproof, well, it's grandma mm-hmm. proof too, you know? Yeah. That's just brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I work with a couple of different cannabis packaging companies and it is an interesting you know, conundrum. On one hand, you're kind of applying this kind of pharmaceutical lens to it in terms of, yes, we need child resistant. We need, it needs to pass the various uh, constraints around that, but then you also have, you know, what happens in the dispensary, what happens at home, how are these packages, particularly when we're dealing with reuse, you know, are they resealable, recontainable back to the child resistant level? Do they keep the product fresh and, and appropriate? Right. You know, if you're dealing with flour, obviously, you know, there's, you have uh, freshness concerns. It's an agricultural product. So how do you deal with all those things? It becomes a bit of an interesting challenge. Quite. Talk to me about in terms of as you've seen these kind of markets play out. I mean, you mentioned some of the things in terms of that Massachusetts has done in terms of, you know, setting aside stock, you know, making sure that the dispensaries have parking and, you know, separate lines and, and things like that. But what's your kind of take at this point in terms of how the introduction of the adult use recreational side of this market has impacted the medical side of the market? Well, I think that the the biggest place where the intersect is in sort of the messaging And there was a study that came out late last week that looked at, uh, you know, did a survey, looked at sort of cannabis purchasers and why they were doing it. And so the study showed that 60% of the people surveyed said that they were purely recreational users. And interestingly enough, the people who qualified themselves as recreational users also were using less overall in frequency, not necessarily in total consumption, Mm -hmm. uh, than the medical people who are typically using it daily. Uh, So 40% of people said that they were using it for some medical purpose. But of that 40%, only 25% were doing it under the guidance of any medical personnel, which I think was very interesting and really speaks to the current industry messaging, which is sort of like, you know, once we have adult use in place, then you can just treat yourself. But we also have studies that show that the patients who are doing it under the guidance of a competent clinician actually have better outcomes, both in terms of positive outcomes, meaning they feel better, and also in terms of decreases in sort of uh, bad experiences and yeah. false starts and side effects and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, we probably need to move forward to rather than, I think, lump all these things together, we really need, I think, to sort of separate them further, which is to say, have the recreational side of things stop messaging, sure, you can do it yourself, and rather say, look, you know, if you have something going on, you should probably get yourself cared for, and then also kind of move in the direction of greater specificity Right now, you know, when I see a patient and I tell them, all right, this is what I think you need. I want you to go and buy this kind of a product. When they get to the dispensary, sometimes they get the right thing and sometimes they get (laughs) talked into other things. And then they call me up and, you know, this literally this morning, I've had two emails, right? Yeah. You know, where they say, well, I went to the dispensary and I got some stuff. I'm like, 
stuff? What stuff did you get? And then they say, and I had a terrible experience with it over the weekend. And I'm like, well, you didn't even tell me what the stuff was, let alone how much of it you took. So what am I supposed to do with that? Right. If I wrote a prescription for a blood pressure medication, they might call me up and say, doc, I got the medicine you expected. I took the dose you expected. And, you know, it gave me the heebie-jeebies or whatever it is, you know, but at least I would know what they got and how much they took, right? Yeah, and when they took it and all that. I mean, it seems like, yeah, there's a set of factors that you would need to know to appropriately respond to that. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that we learned years ago from some Medicare studies is that fully 60-something percent of people use their conventional medications in a way that is completely different from what was actually prescribed to them. And I remind myself of yeah. that frequently Jeez. when I see my patients doing all God knows what. And I, yeah. and I think it's not just because it's cannabis. People just do this. But yeah, exactly. that, that being said, I would like it if we as an industry were not encouraging them to kind of go off the ranch because it just ends up leading to sort of negative outcomes for the patient. And that leads to people bad mouthing the industry and, yeah. and, and then going back to the regular doctors and saying, well, yeah, I tried cannabis. And, you know, it made me feel terrible. And then that doctor, all they're hearing is, well, you know, yeah, sure. That recreational stuff just makes my patient sick. Right. And that's not helping us move towards a better system that actually helps future patients. Yeah. And, and leads to better mainstream of this as a medicine. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's a couple of different kind of cat- problem categories here. You know, if, if the if the messaging is, hey, you you can self-treat, you know, using cannabis uh, that I mean, you, you could have people that are you know, trying to treat conditions that are just inappropriate for cannabis, right? Like people that are just saying, hey, I'll, I'll try cannabis for this when cannabis is not going to help you potentially even make something worse. Sure. Uh, you then have categories where cannabis might help, but it's only one of a series of things you probably need to do if you're really going to treat condition holistically. So I could see people kind of getting only partial you know, partial care or partial, um, you know, help with the condition that's that they're dealing with. And then, yeah, there's the people that are, they're just not using it correctly. Like it's, it's, cannabis is actually quite appropriate for their situation, but you know, they're not taking the right dose. They're not taking the right time. They're not taking in the right format, you know, that you could have a series of problems. And, and it feels like that there's this risk or there's this, you know, situation playing out when the, when the adult use market comes in, you know, whether it's overtly or sort of subtly kind of giving out this message that, Hey, you can now treat yourself. Right. And I think that, you know, that there's a some level I can totally understand the sort of desire to not just the autonomy factor of self-treatment, mm-hmm. but just kind of the convenience of it. Like, you know, I don't have to deal with reaching out to my doctor. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate, I think, that people feel that they don't have that kind of close connection with with their physicians. Yeah. I, in my practice, I really try to make that very easy. I'm going to give everybody my email address and and I'm sort of respond to people very quickly. But I think, you know, my practice is set up the way I would want it to be yeah. set up and not necessarily the rest, the rest of the world is that way. But, you know, yeah, you're right. We, we need the other thing that's on that list of things that people don't really think about when they're self-treating is how about drug interactions, right? Again, yeah. if we're talking about people in that 50 to 80 year old category, right? They're probably got some other stuff stuff going on. They're probably taking some medications. What do we need to know about what those things are and how they might interact with cannabis, in particular CBD, which just happens to be the one that causes more interactions than THC? Yeah, all of those things are really important. And you know, to that end, I think what we really need to do, and it's unfortunate that we're sort of reinventing the wheel here, but we need to be able to write a prescription. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Cause I think that's the one thing I certainly have learned to appreciate having been in this industry now for a couple of years is, is 
kind of the interesting complexity of your relationship to your patients relative to cannabis because of the way the laws are set up and because of the situation we're in. You're not writing prescriptions, right? You're not sitting down with a patient and saying, okay, here's a script that I then take to the dispensary. Explain to the audience a little bit just how this works and why this becomes a little difficult, I think, for, for physicians that are looking to use cannabis with their patients and why it gets complicated. You know, it used to be, if we go back far enough, that a prescription was just some set of instructions written down on a piece of paper. And yeah. through the 20th century, we actually codified that into regulations so that you now have to write it in a particular stylized format that covers all the bases. But it's also then a legal document. So if you take that to your local pharmacy, there are regulations that govern how they respond to that. And they have to respond to it either by filling it as it is, they or they have to call you to see if you'll change it, you know, if you make a mistake or whatever. But but the point is that it's regulated. And, you know, I often jokingly say when you go down to your local drugstore, you know, why are they not saying, hey, would you like a side of Percocet with that? You know, yeah. and the answer is because they're not allowed to say that, yeah. right? But in the cannabis industry, we sort of have it, you know, that there's really kind of this free-for-all. We're at its simplest level giving people permission to go to the store. But once they're in the store, then all products are sort of equally permissible. And the, and the problem is it, it really shouldn't be on the patient to be the arbiter of whether this, that, or the other thing is good for them in the service of whatever is wrong. And it leaves us in a position where where the patient isn't necessarily in the position to know and defend themselves against sort of the marketing or even just the sort of kindly intended but perhaps erroneous advice they receive from the folks behind the counter. So, you know, the way the world responded to this the first time, meaning not cannabis, but with regular conventional medication, was to make it so that when a physician wrote a, a prescription, then that was what the patient got. And I think we need to get to that place with, you know, within the cannabis industry. And I think that if we have industry players who are thinking kind of long term, they're going to understand that this is actually to their bottom line, right? That is yeah. to say, it increases the specificity of the treatment. It's going to increase the benefit and the outcome. It's going to increase people's faith in the medication. It's going to help it become more and more mainstream. You know, and I'm often quick to point out that, look, you know, in the United States, we think that we have a relatively untapped market on the recreational side of about 20 to 30 million people. But what we can say definitively is that in the over 55-year-old crowd, we've got 180 million Americans, and every single one of them is going to develop something that is amenable to treatment with cannabis. The question is, how do you reach those folks? And I don't think you're going to reach them with recreational use. You're going to have to reach them Right. I mean, we have a small population of people who are sort of the the early adopters as mm-hmm. patients who are willing to be yep. kind of a little bit in the more, you know, alt slash voodoo category. But if you really just think about the average grandma, if her physician isn't saying this is the right thing for you, she's not going to go near it. And we need to get into that position where the physicians are recommending it. The industry is reliable. The smoke and mirrors go away. 
And I think that that's where you're going to see really long-term profitability for companies. Yeah. And what do you think, what needs to change, I guess, in the future to really make this happen? I mean, is this, is this just federal regulation, you know, federal legalization and regulation? Is this changing the medical side in some sense? Do you see the recreational side, you know, having to change, kind of change and adopt going forward? What, how, how do you envision this playing out in an ideal scenario? You know, uh, there are a number of factors there. Certainly, I think that in the short term, the industry itself, I mean, the industry likes to talk about sort of self-regulation. I think that, the, that you know, industry players themselves could go a long way by doing things like ceasing to make recommendations of products for medical use and simply saying, you know, you should be talking to your to your healthcare provider about this. I think that we need a federal national policy that encompasses medical. And I think that it's not as simple as legalization. I think that legalization is a really nice idea and it would be good for business and it would certainly be good for a number of social justice issues, which are very valid, but they will not, but it will not help patients because ultimately, as we kind of talked about earlier in our chat here, what we really need is medications that are proven and efficacious. And one of the issues when we get into legalization, whether on the state level or the national level, is we sort of remove any incentive to do the homework, to do the research, to prove that a product is in fact safe and effective. Right. I mean, why would a company spend, say, 20 or 50 million dollars to develop a medication of one sort or another if they could just simply take put it in a bottle and put it on the shelves? Right. Yeah. So there is this conflict between legalization and being able to market kind of anything for anything versus what we really want in a medicine, which is something that kind of goes through an admittedly complicated and therefore expensive and vetting process. And it means to me that what might end up having to happen, which is a little bit unfortunate, I think, is that all of the current cannabis companies just sort of run to the recreational side of the boat and then when federal law permits, we'll see pharmaceutical industry come in and pick up on the medical side and really do the sort of necessary work. I'd like to see some of the cannabis companies step up and really do that kind of work. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know that it needs to be a Pfizer or a Merck that does it, but it seems to me at the moment there's so much push towards recreational that I think that they're leaving all that money on the table that as soon as it's possible, those pharmaceutical companies are going to snap it up. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I'm working with the strategic plans for a lot of these folks, we're kind of running scenarios that play out federal legalization at different timeframes and how the pharmaceutical responds. But it certainly is the the kind of the the lurking question out there is, is when, if and when we get federal legalization, how does a big pharma kind of come into play? They certainly will, but exactly how do they enter and are they going to buy up some of these companies? Are they just going to develop their own products? How much do you see the products themselves? I mean, I think we're, we're learning a lot more about the plant and the different molecules and stuff. I mean, how, I guess, from the physician side, are these things important at this point? Are they more kind of, well, more about secondary effects and that we, you know, that there's, you know, there appears to be kind of less importance to these, you know, all the, the different terpenes and the other uh, uh, kind of molecules inside the plant. What's your sense on this in terms of where the future of products are going to go on that side? You know, that's a great question. I think that there's a lot of discussion right now about sort of the minor cannabinoids and the terpenes and such. And I think in part that's driven by, you know, the need to keep a conversation going, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, how many conversations can you have 
sort of both while you're standing around at a at a convention or smoking with people you meet or or in the press, you know, about THC, right? I mean, at some point you sort of said what there is to say. And yeah. so there's a sort of what let's discuss further. You know, there is some very interesting early, early research on some of these minor cannabinoids um, and terpenes. But the but that research has not reached the level at which we can say this is going to be useful or this is not going to be useful. Or, these are the effects yeah. that, you know, so people like to talk about, you know, this terpene makes you kind of peppy, you know, I mean, like limonene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> but what does that mean therapeutically? And yeah. since we, you know, when people have depression, we don't say go sniff lemons and that, you know, that doesn't work. So yeah. what does it mean if we take the extract of that and put it in a capsule? Well, the answer is it might actually be very helpful. Not that one necessarily in particular, but, yeah. but the idea that there are components in here that, that may be additionally beneficial but we need to do the research. And right now, I think the discussion has gone far beyond what was actually really known. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Jordan, this has been a pleasure. If people want to learn more about you, about InhaleMD, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? They should go to my website, which is inhalemd.com. Again, inhale md.com and we've got over a hundred articles on various subjects it's all searchable uh, so you can just throw in whatever you're interested in as well as some discussion on minor cannabinoids as well as the major cannabinoids and various illnesses and that sort of thing and of course you can reach me directly through the website everything goes directly to my desk so you know if people are interested in making contact they certainly should excellent thank you so much for taking some time today this whole discussion of the medical and the adult use side is is a fascinating one and i think it's going to be you know it's going to be really important for the industry and see how this plays out and obviously there's a bunch of factors that yet to be determined about how exactly that works but uh you know something to keep an eye on so i really appreciate you taking the time today it's been really helpful my pleasure thanks for having me on you've been listening to thinking outside the bud with business coach bruce eckfeld to find a full list of podcast episodes download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.